The title of this sermon series is Philippians, The Gospel Changes Everything. We talked the first week about the gospel changing our friendships, our suffering, and even our citizenship, if you recall that. And then last week, um, Overseer Jack Post preached on chapter 2. We talked about becoming humble, that the gospel changes us into, uh, and our humility to change us more like Jesus. And it was his great example by leaving heaven, coming to earth, and dying on a cross, giving up all the things he had in heaven for us, that was our great example. And so today we're going on to chapter 3, and, and this is an interesting chapter. Paul starts out this chapter by, by saying to them a, a warning. And remember, the Philippians were Paul's great friends, okay? This is the church that he planted that was probably the people he was most close to, okay? He spent many, many time, much time there with the Philippians there, okay? And so these people were his very close friends. And he starts out with a warning, and he starts to warn them about basically religious people. Okay, he, he, he wants them to know, hey, don't forget all the things that we've taught you about Jesus and grace and mercy and his life, following him, becoming more like him. Don't forget about all that stuff when someone comes to you and says, well, if you're really going to know Jesus, you need to do this, 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 and this. And it was circumcision and, and, you know, following the law and all these things, right? Not bad things in general, just things that were in addition to Jesus. And Paul wanted them to know, hey, that's, that's not what I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to you what was first and foremost, the gospel of Jesus, okay? That only faith in him comes from his grace and his doing alone and us receiving a free gift. Okay, so he goes on, and he says, those people will even want to brag about who they are. You know, I followed the law. I had, you know, I've been a Pharisee. I've been a leader in the church. And he said, if anybody had anything to brag about, it would be me. He says, him himself, Paul. He said, I'm, I was a, a Jewish person. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law said. And I followed the law, and I was a Pharisee, and I even persecuted the people that followed Jesus because they weren't following the law. He said, if anyone had anything to brag about, it was me. But then he goes on to let them know how unimportant all that stuff actually really was. So let's look today. We're going to start in verse 7. I'm reading out of the ESV, and that's what will be on the screen, but you can follow along too in your own Bible so you can underline and make notes. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." 
the first thing we're talking about this morning, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes our scorecard, okay? The gospel changes our scorecard. Church attendance, serving, giving, being a leader in the church, um, not doing this, 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 and this. Those things have been our scorecard for way too long and how we've decided our worth or determined whether or not we were made right with God. What Paul is, are you with me? Those things aren't bad. You should worship on Sunday mornings with the church family. You should serve. You should give of your finances. You should, you know, not do things that are uh, contrary to the way Jesus lived. You should. But those aren't the things that make you right with God. We do all those things because we've been made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Does that make sense? It has to happen that way. The other way is what's called self-righteousness. And if you've read much of the New Testament, especially the Gospels, the people that were in that category were the people that were called Pharisees, Sadducees, something else to seize. And Jesus, he wasn't real big fans of those guys, was he? No. Okay. He lost everything Paul did. He said, all the good stuff that I had done, all the things that I had, that I had built up on my resume, I throw it all away. He said, I count it as rubbish or garbage, you know, just, just nothing, because none of that compares to the knowledge of Christ, knowing him. And then he goes back and he says something at the end of what we read in verse, in verse 10. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. That's like what he said in, in, cha- in chapter 1 a couple weeks ago when he talked about sharing in his sufferings is a good thing. That if we suffer the way Jesus suffered, then we know we're kind of on the right track. It was set up that, that Christians would be persecuted. Did you know that? Sometimes we try our best to make sure that that never happens to us. <laughs> We don't want to upset anybody by saying anything that they may not agree with. You know, we don't want to defend the gospel because they may not really believe that way. And and we don't want to give up comforts that we have in our own home and go somewhere else because I just don't really want to suffer. And we make up our excuses in our minds about why we would never want to do that. Yet Paul is saying when we suffer, we're sharing in the same sufferings that Jesus did, that that's a good thing. And that he would even get rid of everything else that he had ever counted gain so that he could live in that way and know Jesus that way. In fact, I think what he's saying is when you begin to suffer the way Jesus did, you begin to know Jesus more. That makes sense. If you you experience something that someone else has experienced, you have more of a connection with that person. Would you say that? Yeah? In the same way, if, if our goal is to become more of someone who knows Christ, to know him more, to know him in his death, his resurrection, and his suffering, we will know him more when we begin to experience some of the same things that he experienced. I think that's why Paul was so joyful in all the letters that he wrote, even when he was getting whipped and stoned and put in prison and all the bad things that were happening. He was joyful and even ready to die for Christ so that he could know him more. When I read things like this, I get really, really convicted. Because that's not the way that most of us talk. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The gospel changes our scorecard. The gospel also changes our purpose. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, what race are we running? Because we're all running some sort of a race. What race are we running? What goal are we striving for? And there's lots of them. They're going on in your minds. Right now I can kind of see, like if this was a movie, I'd see these little bubbles popping up above your heads. You know, the things that are important to you, the things that you worked, you know, half your life for, the things that you put a lot of effort in or the things that you invested financially in. These are the things that we're striving for, our goals in life. What is your goal? What race are you running? What are the things that you put the most effort in your life into? Paul was really clear about his. He seemed to be very much narrow-minded on the race that he was running, the goal that he was striving for, and it was all heavenly. This is what my Bible says in the notes in, in verse 14 when it says, I pressed on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God. That word goal could refer to the finish line in a race or, or a, a target on an archery range. Paul's life is purposeful. And he is constantly aiming toward a heavenly goal. The prize is the fullness of blessings and rewards in the age to come. That's what he says. Forget the stuff that lays behind and pressed on towards what is ahead. He's not talking about, you know, next week's meal or the vacation he has planned in six months. He's talking about that heavenly reward that is ours in the future. The age to come most especially being in perfect fellowship with Christ forever. His goal was to be in perfect fellowship with the God of the universe forever. His, his goal wasn't earthly. It wasn't. He never talks about that kind of stuff. In fact, in another place, he says, if whether I got money, whether I don't got money, I'm fine. I figure it out. I've learned how to live with this. I've learned how to live with that. It, those kind of things just did not even really really affect the way he was going about his life because it had nothing to do with his, his goal, his race he was running, the thing he was striving for. So then I worry and I, and I struggle with my own self because what are those things that I put so much effort and time and money in and focus in my life on that really are rubbish in Paul's words? What are those things? The gospel changes our purpose. If we really are striving to know God, we will look like different people. I love that Bart said about Cameron, you know, you're becoming a different person. I've seen it in you as Jesus is, is changing and molding us. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, you don't come up here and, and, and get baptized and say, I want Jesus in my heart and want to be him. I want to follow him as Lord of my life. The next day, most of the time, you're not a completely different person. It takes time. It's a process. The Bible talks about that. It's, it's a molding. Paul even said right there, he said, I haven't already attained it. Even Paul, you know, the guy that wrote most of this New Testament, he said, I haven't attained it yet, but it's what I'm working toward. 
He, he wasn't uh, thinking, you know, I've already made it. I should be good enough. He wasn't concerned with whether he, had, he'd do it. he was doing everything right or wrong. He knew that he was in the grace of God moving forward and that in the partnership with Jesus in the gospel, God was molding him into the man he wanted him to be. It's this process. And that should be our purpose. Our purpose is to know him, to know him in his sufferings, to know him in his death and his resurrection, to know him, to have this great relationship with the creator of the world, the one true God, and that is our purpose in life. And if we're putting forth all of our effort, all of our time thinking, we wake up in the morning and we're thinking about all these other things, we are missing out. doesn't mean Jesus is going to turn his back on you. It just means you're never going to experience the fullness of blessing that he wants you to. So we have to begin to weigh, well, what's most important? Am I more concerned about, you know, that number, you know, that ING commercial, what's your number? Am I more concerned about the number that I have to have in order to retire, to live the way I want to live at the age that I want to live it? Or am I more concerned with, with Jesus and his kingdom purpose and the reason that he's put me here on this earth? We have to weigh those things out. Am I more concerned about climbing the corporate ladder? Am I more concerned about making sure my six-year-old t-baller eventually uh, turns into a professional baseball player? You know, what are, we, what are we most focused on? What do we put our most effort into? And sometimes if I step back and I'm honest, a lot of the things that fill up my calendar and my, uh, just my mind's processing time are rubbish. They are. So what are we doing? The gospel changes our purpose. We need, to, we need to change, maybe, what race we're running. We need to change, maybe, what goal we're striving for. Put that on your note card that you look at in the mirror every morning. You know, sometimes we do that for weight loss or we're trying to to do that or we're shooting for this goal, write down a heavenly goal. Write down a future reward that we're striving for and let's see how he begins to change us. Verse 17. This is really interesting. A lot of people would be skeptical, not skeptical, they would be cautious to say this to somebody else. But Paul, he just says it. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me. Paul was so sure about his race he was running. He was so certain about the goal he was striving for that he could look at a young Christian and go, just do what I do. That's a pretty bold statement. You know, because he was, he wasn't, this church back then wasn't like church is now, you know. They didn't just show up and listen to him talk for an hour on Sunday morning, okay. Because anybody that stands up here and talks for an hour and then you guys don't see us all week long, we can look really good to everybody, right. But Paul was living amongst these people 24-7, all day, every day, throughout the week, working with them, uh, you know. So he, and he said, even in that he said, just do what I do. You know, come up, come up behind me, follow me, do what I do. This is what I'm striving for. And, and, and I think the gospel changes who we imitate. 
Now, we all imitate people. We do this all the time. You know, when it, when it comes time to buy a new car, we think about, okay, now, who is it that I really respect? I'm going to try to get a car somewhat on the same level as they are. Or, or you know, when it times, comes time to buy new clothes for teenagers, you know, they think about who they're trying to kind of look like, and they go try to they talk their parents into buying them the clothes that they think will make them look more like that kind of people, right? Or, you know, whether, when you want a vacation, you ask the people who you think were, are kind of like you, and you say, hey, where did you vacation last year? I'm going to try to go where you went, okay? And so, you know, we, we imitate people all the time. We, we do this from a very young age. We do it when we're young because we want to be fit in and cool, and then we do it because we're old because we want to fit in and be cool. It never really changes. We just imitate people, you know, sometimes... Some people, are they're like, imitate this person, and they turn the corner, and they start imitating this person. Then they go to this hall, and they imitate that person like a chameleon. You know, they just imitate whoever they're around in order to fit in. Who are we imitating? Who is it in our life that we're imitating so that we might know Christ more? Who are you spending time with intentionally so that you can follow them and say, now, what is it that you do when you struggle with this? Now, how do you handle this situation over here? You know, who are you going to when, are you just trying to figure it out yourself or are you imitating some actor on a movie when you have a fight with your wife? Or who do you go to to ask them, how do you handle it when you have a fight with your wife? You know, or when you struggle with finances, are you just making it up or are you, are you going to someone and saying, hey, what do, we, what do I do here? This is the situation I'm in. I need to imitate you, okay? What do you do when it comes to your daily Bible reading? Are you, are you depending on the daily email that comes to you that you subscribe to? You know, who are we imitating? Who are we following? Who are we, who are we linking up with and, and getting on this journey, this race that we're going on so that we can be with someone? That's a really good question to ask yourself. You know, when you first, Cameron, he needs to attach himself. Right now, he's already doing it with Rick and with Bart and with Sherry and all these other people. You know, Zach, Lucas, these people that are on the same race, striving for the same goal. He needs to follow along and learn to imitate. Doesn't mean that the people we imitate have to be perfect because then our choices are zero. It just means that you're trying to pick someone who is striving for that heavenly goal. The gospel changes who we imitate. We don't spend all of our time and, and effort thinking about, you know, how we dress and look and, and, and uh, what we drive or where we live or the people we hang out with. But we, take, we spend, start to spend our time and effort thinking about kingdom goals. Kingdom goals. One of the, one of the core values at Heritage is kingdom perspective. Kingdom perspective. It means we think differently. We're not trying to build the kingdom at heritage. Not on our radar. Not doing it. We're not interested in being the next big mega church. We're not interested in having the biggest, coolest show on Sunday morning. We want to have a kingdom perspective. What does that mean? It means connecting with other churches so that we can make an impact here in Fruitland Park. It means connecting with businesses and individuals so that we can make an impact on the young people in the Lady Lake area. It means connecting with churches all over Wildwood so that we can serve the poorest of the poor there in that community. Kingdom perspective means what we're doing in Nicaragua. 
and in order to bring people clean, fresh water who are having to walk miles to get it, but also to bring them the living water because we're thinking kingdom. Anybody can give anybody clean water, but only someone that knows Jesus and has his love in their heart can give someone the true living water that they need. That's kingdom perspective. I remember sitting in Meredith and Sid's house, the four of us, Brooke and I, and, and Sid and Meredith talking about core values, you know, and we would go to other churches' websites and what are their core values? Oh, that sounds good. I like that one. Oh, that sounds good. I like that one. And, and we probably had 30 of them, and we kept narrowing them down and said, no, who's God asking us to be? And my favorite core value was always kingdom perspective because it wasn't about us. It was about everyone else. And that's the way we ought to live our lives. If we're going to be a part of a church who says our core, one of our core values is kingdom perspective, how can that not be a core value of my own life and my own home for my family? How can that not be? I wouldn't join this church if that wasn't going to be a core value for me and my family. Core values for our heritage aren't just so that we can corporately say, hey, we have these great core values, and then not live them out in our own individual lives. It's not actually a core value for heritage unless the people of heritage have that as a core value in their own life, right? All it is is a, you know, a, a, a slogan on a sign or a website. It's not actually a core value. Who are you imitating so you can become more like Christ? Paul closes out the letter by saying something kind of negative, going back to those people he was warning them about and saying those people who, who pretend to know Jesus but all they really want to do is put on all the, these extra rules on you. He said that their end is destruction. Not, not a good sounding word. Their end is destruction. He says, this is in verse 19, he says, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. The gospel changes our scorecard. The gospel changes our purpose. And the gospel changes who we imitate. And all of those things, what they're telling us is that we have to take our mind off of these earthly things and put them toward a heavenly goal. A goal that is in the age to come. For us as a body of believers, for us as a church family, how do we begin to do that? How do we all join in? It can't just be something that Sid is championing by himself and moving ahead. It has to be something as a church family. You know, in my home, I can't just say, hey, this is going to be really important to us. If the other three of them don't go along with it, it's not really important to us. Some, at some point, we all have to be on the same page and be moving towards that direction. What would it look like if a church family right here in the middle of this town of Fruitland Park had, had a heavenly goal as a whole family, as a whole? What would it look like if our purpose changed? You know, I always think about some of my friends that I have who are around the world living as missionaries. They, they have... A goal, they're running a different race than I am most of the time, I feel like. You know, I, I wake up and my mind immediately, the moment my alarm goes off, my mind is filled with things that I need to get done, checklists, things that are important to me, things that I'm striving for, things that I want to accomplish. 
Some of my friends, you know, Clint and Poland, he wakes up, and, and the first thing he thinks about, I mean, he's got to do the normal things we all do. You know, he's got to get cleaned up and eat and stuff like that, but he's thinking about how he can make a difference and an impact in Gdańsk, Poland. That's what he's thinking. How does he take the living water that he's been given, the, the, the relationship that he has with Jesus, how does he take that to a country that is oppressed and depressed and living in darkness? How does he do that? That's, it. That's what he's thinking. That's what is on his mind. My friend Willie lives in India, halfway across the world. When he wakes up, he's thinking about, you know, how can I better love these people around me? How can I show them that I really care for them, that I'm not just some, you know, American living here because I want to be here and try to talk them into believing something that's crazy? Because that's what most of them think about him. How can I love them? How can I learn to speak a language that's so foreign to me that it might take years to learn, but how can I commit to doing it for a future heavenly reward goal? That's what he's thinking when he wakes up. Completely different. And it doesn't mean we're supposed to all just move and go somewhere. It means we're supposed to all, where God has us right now, wake up with those same kinds of thoughts. Who is God trying to tell me to love today? Why have I not reached out to that neighbor that's lived next door to me for 20 years and I barely even know their name? You know, who, who is it that lives down the street that God is asking me to love on? Who is it that I work with that I, I say I can't believe they act the way they do, but what I really know is that they don't have the love of Jesus in their heart. And, and, and here I am sitting just a few doors down from them every single day. What's your purpose? What race are you running? What is your goal? These are things that we ask ourselves for everything under the sun when it comes to success and work and family and jobs and, and, uh, and vacation and, and all the fun things in life. And we rarely sit down and ask ourselves these questions about our spiritual life, our relationship with Jesus, the reason he has us here on the earth. What is he having us to shoot for? Those are the questions we've got to begin to ask as believers. Because if we're not, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Did we sign up for this just because we thought it would be cool to, to hang out on Sunday mornings with, with other people? Did we sign up for this because someone scared us into thinking that if we didn't, we would go to hell? And, and, and all we're counting on is if we show up on Sunday morning and do the list of the things that, that Paul said was rubbish, that we'll be right with God and we're okay and that we get to go to heaven one day. Paul said all that stuff is garbage. Paul said what's most important is knowing Jesus, knowing him in his life, his death, his resurrection, in his sufferings, being made right with him by only something that God can do, not something that I can do in myself that's called self-righteousness. There's so much more to this Christian life, so much more that he wants from us, that he's put us here for. And I feel like sometimes he just weeps because he looks down and here we are, just we're, we, we call ourselves happy and blessed because of all the things that we have. Paul said he'll be happy and blessed when he experiences the fullness of blessing in Christ Jesus, not when he has lots of money or material things or a good reputation in his career. He understood what was right. He understood the real race that we are running. See, here's the, 
The thing is, we're all running that race. It's just some of us are getting our butts kicked. We're not even in it. We're just getting lapped. Because we're sitting here and we're focused on something completely different than the goal he wants us to accomplish. So this week, that's the challenge. The challenge is to ask yourself, tomorrow morning, when you wake up, what's, what, race, what race am I running? What's my goal today? What's my purpose? Has the gospel changed that in me yet? Because if it hasn't, why not? What is it that God needs to mold in me? What is it that he needs to remove from me? What is it that he needs to add to me to begin to make me a person who's running the race with an eternal perspective? The last verse in chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We serve a glorious God. We do. And our goal is heavenly. Our reward is in the future, the age to come. And it's time that we begin, and we'll start right here as a church family, to change our purpose, to change the goal, to change the race that we're running, and be involved in his kingdom for his glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, I'm very thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that that you give us this guide I'm thankful that you've given us this vision, this purpose that we can live out, that you've allowed us to become partners with you in the gospel. Not just people here going about our own way, trying to figure out our own life until one day we could see you, but that we could be a part of it right now, the expansion of your glorious kingdom here on earth. Jesus, convict us when our eyes stray from the goal, when our eyes stray from the target you set up ahead of us. Holy Spirit, change our hearts when we put all of our attention and focus and effort on earthly things. Give us eyes that we could see people in the world the way you see them. Give us compassion that we would love people the way you love. And set our minds upon an age that is to come when we will one day be made glorious and see you face to face. Would it be a day that we could hear the words, good job, my son. Good job, my daughter. I want to be a part of building your kingdom now. Even if that means joining you in your suffering and experiencing the things that you experience. Help us to ask tough questions. And would you so fill this church body with your Holy Spirit that the neighborhoods and the communities around us would have to take notice. 
that you're doing a big, mighty thing that only the God of the universe, the one true God, Jesus Christ, can do. Thank you for changing people. Thank you for Cameron. Thank you that he would come this morning and share with his church family to let everyone know that he's going to follow you as Lord, that he's setting his heart, his mind, his eyes on a goal that is eternal. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.